new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. And we are back, folks, here on the Michigan Basketball Insider. It's been a little while since uh, our last podcast, Tim McCormick and I, but glad to be back in the saddle. Uh, And we have an off-season plan where we are going to be bringing Michigan Basketball Insider podcast to you twice a month here during the off-season. So you can look forward to them being published every other Wednesday Uh, And so uh, today being the first Wednesday and every other Wednesday from this point uh, forward here this summer until we get to the basketball season, you're going to be getting Michigan Basketball Insider Podcast. That gives me a great reason. I won't even call it an excuse. A great reason to get with my pal, my buddy, Tim McCormick. Tim, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. What a a fascinating offseason this has been um, on so many levels. It's been surreal because of the virus. It's been confusing. So much uncertainty with the program. Um, No NCAA tournament, no Big Ten tournament, no graduation for the seniors, no closure. And and then you you lose three of your key players. Well, not key players, but building blocks um, to transfer. And then, you know, you don't get all the recruits you want. But I, I think Juwan has really excelled over the last three months. You know, Tim, you, you raise a, a a point that every coach, every coach is is grappling with right now. Obviously, the primary concern uh, is, you know, is there going to be a season? We, we know that the coronavirus is the most pressing matter. Uh, but there was something that was was heading their way anyway. It was already here to a certain extent. And that is, you know, recruiting and 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 building or maintaining a team in what I call the transfer era. We have seen the the proliferation of transfers kind of kind of rise here over the last couple of years. And when the, the portal kind of put it on another grad transfers and then the portal kind of took it to another level. Now we're on the verge of transfers without having to sit out of yet. It's probably not going to come in place uh, into play this year, but in, in the not too distant future it will and I'm curious, you know, as a as a basketball guy, Tim. I mean, you, you played the game uh, at the highest at every level. You've coached uh, as well. I, 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 this has to be uh, a very trying circumstance. And I wonder how you think, what kind of impact you think is going to have for guys as they recruit, for coaches as they recruit, and try to obviously maintain their teams. Well, there's a couple of ways to look at it, Sam. Uh, I've always been intrigued with Coach K and Bill Self. And, and Roy Williams, and they every year they bring in three or four or five blue chip players that have one in, in dreams. And the time that it typically works out for them is when a couple of those guys, the years don't quite pan out and they become juniors and seniors, and then they've got a more mature team. Juwan Howard's background as a coach in the NBA means that he's, he's got to constantly update his roster, right? That's what a GM in the NBA does. You, you, you look at your talent, and you want a nice mix of youth and vets, role players and stars, 
and and talent acquisition is really one of the biggest issues. Now, for Juwan, I think that doing is sustainable because he's going to target some really good um, blue chip type of recruits. And and so as as an example, Hunter Dickinson is going to be really good. I think he's got a good chance to be an all Big Ten center in his first year. Um, but you can supplement the youth that you have by bringing in some grad transfers that have paid their dues. They've gotten older. They've they they've matured and they're excited to play high level environment like like Chrysler against Big Ten teams. Um, it's fun. Juwan Howard is a basketball coach. He's an elite coach, but he's also a pretty darn good general manager too. They lost five players. They're bringing in five pretty good ones too. Yeah, they they are. Uh, you know, the, one of the challenging things I think, Tim, and it, it gets to you mentioned the guys that Michigan lost. So Dave DeJulius, Colin Castleton. Uh, you know, it, it's you got to believe that the decision to transfer Cole Badgema, the the decision to transfer wasn't one that came too suddenly. That it was it was a thought that uh, you know there was a seed and then it grew uh, and sprouted over over the course of time. And so I, I wonder about the, the concept of recruiting your own roster now uh, as a coach where, you know, maybe as you're going through a season, maybe a guy isn't playing as much. Uh, maybe a, a guy is you can see the frustration uh, be be visible where now maybe it, it feels like coaches have to be more leery, more aware of that kind of thing that you can't put off some of these these concerns and questions that like you maybe would have in the past, Tim, to address concerns about what the future looks like uh, anymore because guys, you know, by the time you, they get to the end of the season, it might be too late. Yeah, Sam, it's, 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 it's going to be an interesting phenomenon. It's like recruiting your players, but there's also some anti-recruiting too. Um, look at all the guys out there. We can reflect on a time when we were dating, right? And, you know, she's pretty sharp and you're, you're, you're pretty impressed and you're kind of excited. And then all of a sudden you start to get the sense that there's some anti-recruiting going on. Like she's just not trying quite as hard or she's just not quite as into it. I think that's what college coaches are going to do, too. If there is a guy that you desperately want to keep in your program and his role is somewhat diminished, you've got to keep him engaged and let him know how valuable he is mm-hmm. and how important he is in the future. I would imagine that maybe Cole Badgema was not feeling that love during the season, but I bet Brandon Johns was. Brandon might not be playing as much, but he's got great value and he's got a future here. So so you, you spend extra time talking about their role and working hard with them and make them feel super engaged. If if a guy does not quite fit, then then he's not going to get that same love. Yeah, and it's a it's an interesting point. You're absolutely right. It is one of those things that can that can turn over a player on a roster quickly. I, I take it that you weren't surprised by Cole Badgerman's decision to to transfer. No, I I was not, and I was not surprised even going back to the first couple times that I saw him play. Um, you know, he's not soup. Um, he's he's not a like a Big Ten athlete. Um, you could see where John Beeline would be intrigued. Same thing with Colin Castleton. Um, John Beeline loves shooters. And, and I heard a story about how, you know, Colin Castleton was telling someone that when he was in high school, 
you know, he didn't think he was going to get recruited at a level like Michigan. And he had a couple of, of AAU games back to back where he couldn't miss from three. And John Beeline was sitting there and that led to a scholarship offer. Um, Cole Bajima um, has potential. I think that Washington is a good fit for him. It's closer to home, but he is known as a shooter. And it seemed like every practice that I watched him, he just wasn't making shots. And, and so if you're a shooter, you got to knock it down. And, and so I just was never really locked in on his shooting ability. And, and so I'm sure that, that the, the Michigan coaches probably saw the same thing. And, and they thought, you know what? We need to upgrade. Adrian Nunez might be a little bit better player. And they're somewhat similar big guards. And, and I think Adrian Nunez probably impressed the coaches more than Cole Bajima. And that's why Cole is in the Pacific Northwest as we speak. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it was not a surprise to me either. I think early in the season, uh, you know, it, it was and there were some questions about why is is Adrian Nunez playing over over Cole Bajima when at the time before before Franz Wagner came back when those minutes were, were really available. But that, at that time. You know, you talk to anyone around the team and just Adrian Nunez was was ahead. You had a freshman uh, who had a big learning curve, you know, a big step up for a guy like Cole Bajima. And then by the time you get later in the season, I mean, Tim, we're talking about three hit three minutes here, four minutes there. I mean, it's not really even at a time where maybe they're they're even maybe they're close. You aren't talking about a whole lot of minutes, and, and and so I don't know that it would have been enough to appease him, even if he had gotten those three or four minutes late in the season over Adrian Nunez. So this yeah, is one of those this, right. this is one of those times where you know maybe the change of scenery, maybe the getting back closer to home is going to work out the best for Cole Bajima. And I, I thought Jawan Howard's message to him was great. Always family, he told them, and rooting for his success out at, at the University of Washington. A classy move. And let me go back to an earlier question. You know, was I surprised? When did I know that Cole Badger was Badgema was not going to work out in the maze and blue? We could go back to podcast six or seven or eight. I'm not sure which one it was, but we both asked each other the same question. I think I said, Sam, what is the exact rule on red shirting? Because there were a couple of games yeah. in which Cole did not get in and it was around that you know, eight or 10 game mark. And when, when I found out that, no, you know, he, he's already burned his, 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 his possible red shirt year. Then I said, okay, this is not going to work out very well for him. Yep. Yep. All right. So, uh, but players coming and going, as we talked about at the very onset of the podcast, Tim, that's going to be the norm. Uh, and I was just, you know, you watch, some of the moves uh, across the across the Big Ten landscape, like when Luther Muhammad uh, transferred, right? I mean, that was just one. Matt Harms, uh, we're getting mm-hmm. over to Purdue, transferring. You're talking about guys with, with, with major roles on their teams that are looking for changes of scenery, things, you know, spots that they think might allow them to take their games to another level. That brings us to No Joe Eastern, who almost out of the blue, Tim, seemingly out of the blue, just, you know, next thing you know, no Joe Eastern is committed to the University of Michigan. I was surprised uh, in a big way. And first of all, transferring in conference is so unique. And I, I, I'm trying to come up with reasons why he left Purdue to come to Michigan. Clearly, 
there was something between he and his coach. Um, and and I, I don't think Matt Painter is a confrontational guy, but, you know, why, why does a player with a key role leave? Um, I started thinking about coming to Michigan. Well, he's from Evanston, Illinois. I wonder if there's a, an appeal because Juwan is from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Eastern liked the way that Michigan played. Michigan beat them twice this year. Uh, he was intrigued by the NBA screen game, uh, the, the driving opportunities that come from that offense. Maybe he liked how hard Michigan played. Uh, I do know that he wants to play in the NBA. And, and he tested the NBA waters when he was earlier. Um, I think, quite frankly, that, that he's not an NBA player right now. Mm-hmm. So, so what he could be looking at is, okay, how do I get to the NBA? If I stay at Purdue, I'm going to play next year, and then I'll be done. No progress. I think sitting a year could be good for Nogel Easter. Uh, imagine right now, he can't shoot. I mean, that's the reality. He cannot shoot. And he wants NBA. Well, the NBA wants guys that can knock down shots. That's what the game's about right now. And and if Nogel Eastern takes 1,200 shots per day, and I'm talking 24-7, 365, if he's working on it every day, a year can make a difference. I'm not saying you go from being a non-shooter to a pure shooter, but he can make himself more of a factor. The The other thing that I really like about him is the frame, the multi-positions. And, and one question, and you've heard this a lot, Sam, NBA scouts always say the same thing. What's his number one NBA skill? And, and you know, he, he's a stopper, and he's as good as anyone, and he brings great value. How nice if, you know, if, if you're playing Penn State and Lamar Stevens has 18 at half, you know, what, what are you going to do? What, you send Eastern out there and say, go stop him. or if Cassius Winston cannot be kept out of the lane, even though Cassius is a point guard and Nogel Eastern is 6'7", he can stop guys like Cassius Winston. So the other thing that I found interesting, critics of him playing at Michigan might say, well, you know, you really can't afford a non-shooter in today's game because what do they do? They clog the lane up. The guy that's yeah. covering him is going to cause problems for everybody else. But Michigan has has consistently won 20 games with Xavier Simpson as your point guard, you know? And and so I I think I think it's a pretty good deal. Uh he he makes the younger players better. He sets a standard in practice. And I promise you this, there's nobody in the Big Ten that says, oh good, no gel Easter's covering <laughs> you right now. No nobody says that. Right. So, right. No, um, it's that's terrific terrific insight uh, and Tim y- you speak from as a guy who who played at that level uh, it was a first round draft pick uh, run the NBA Players Association top 100 camp know what they're looking for in the league so I, I think the 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 assessment of what's missing uh, between who he is now and who he needs to be to be a pro I, I think is particularly poignant when I look at No Joe Eastern, I see a guy that can, I've said this several times, can legitimately defend four positions on the college floor. Six, seven, mm. 225. He can, you can put him on a point guard. You can put him on a four man. And I, I don't think that you're you're just relegated to having him guard big ones or or small fours. 
you can you can feel comfortable at least trying him against whoever the best player is from the other team if he plays one of those positions. So I really like that with with Nojel Eastern. Uh, but, you know, you touched on him in the half court. I think when he looked at this roster, he sees an offense that is is heavy on, you know, getting guys downhill, get them in ball screen situations. And I really think that he sees himself being in those situations. But, Tim, you kind of laid out a scenario where, okay, they, you know, yes, did teams play off Xavier Simpson? Sure they did. Did they go under, on, under ball screens on him? Absolutely they did. But X still had the quickness to get by a lot of guys even when they went under ball screens. He didn't always shoot threes when they went underneath. And the times where he did shoot threes, he he made a few of them. In the case of Nojo Eastern, you're talking about a guy that hasn't made a three in two seasons. So there are going to be some challenges both for Nojel and, of course, for Michigan on the offensive end of the floor. All right. And, and you know, I, I've, I've heard various comparisons of, of who he's like. Um, I'm going to go old school, and some people may not remember him, but it's a guy I played with that I really enjoyed my time on the court with him was Thad Garner. Mm-hmm. He was a big wing. He was about six seven, six eight, but he defended so well. And what I notice is any time that you've got a guy like that, a defense first player on the court, that your tempo immediately speeds up. Um, he's fast, and he creates mismatches with, with his defense guys can't get by him he you know he can lock down a really good score the other team is leaning on he forces shots he blocks shots he gets to loose balls so when no gel eastern's on the court michigan will be faster yeah a great stuff Tim. look when i look at this move i see it from uh from a a talent and experience standpoint i i just don't see any downside there, I have there. I have no reservations about No Joe Eastern joining Michigan's roster. And my question comes in, Tim, is is about role definition. I, I just laid out what I think the thought process was for him when he calls up Juwan Howard and says he's interested. And that's the way, that's the way this went down. It was you know him reaching out to to Michigan to express interest in Michigan. Like, okay, yeah, great. This is. This is awesome for all the reasons that we've we've laid out. But you look at his time at Purdue, uh, he was never one of those primary offensive guys f- for them. Now, is that is that about them holding him back, or is that about is, is that about the skill set that he brought to the table? And I think the question that I have at Michigan is, what if they're in a situation where his role? is not one of those primary offensive guys. Now, right now on paper, if he's a 2021 guy, probably is. But what if they – I mean, they just picked up Shondi Brown, who we'll talk about. What if they add some more big-time offensive talent uh, in the recruiting class? What if what if Hunter Dickinson really emerges? What if that pushes – if it pushes Nojel Eastern into a role on the offensive end of the floor, much like the one he played at Purdue, how does he react to that? That's my question about this move. That's the conversation that you and I are not a part of. Um, a, as an example, when, when Jawan Howard went face-to-face with Columbia transfer Mike Smith, what was that conversation like? Um, you know, Mike, you, you scored 23 points a game. Um, I watched your tape. You had 34 against Yale. 
Not many guys score over 20 points a game in D1. But if you come and play for me, we have Franz Wagner. We have Isaiah Livers. We've got guys that can get out in the break. I need you to be a complete player. I need you to be a facilitator on offense and move the ball around. You may not score 20 points a game. You may not even score 15 points, but I need you to be a two-way player that is all about winning. And then you get a chance to look in their eyes and see their sincerity. That's the conversation that Juwan had with Nogel Eastern, I'm sure. And, and he must have liked the response. You know, Nogel Eastern has played with Carson Edwards. And, and he's not building his game around offense. I could see Juwan saying, you know what I need you to be? I need you to be my Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart was tough and physical, and he was a leader, and he set a standard. And, and you know, he scored, he scored his points because he's out there in key times, and he's playing with good guys. But I, I think that that's a really important conversation that, that Juwan has had with these guys, and he was sold. Yeah, and so it, it brings me to Matt Painter's comments about, about Matt Harms and about Nojo Eastern on their way out. I mean, we all know now that Nojo Eastern, uh, you know, he's he's put his name in the draft a couple of times. The first time he put himself in the draft, Tim was after his freshman year, he averaged two point nine points a game. Mm-hmm. Now, now mm-hmm. I know I know guys put themselves in there, uh, you know, for exploratory reasons, right? But not that many guys do it when they average a couple of points per game. Uh, so what that told me though is that this guy sees him. He's a pro. He believes. He's a pro. He certainly has pro size, pro athleticism. You mentioned a a a big void in his game, though, that he needs to work on. Uh, and that that to me kind of picks up on one of the, the the themes to Matt Painter's comments. And I'll just read to you one, and I want your reaction uh, where he was talking about uh, Nogel and Matt Harms both leaving. He said, "Quote: These guys are like, hey, I want to be a pro. I'm like, why don't we be all conference in college first? <laughs> Why don't we try that out? You'll get guys that average four, six, nine, or ten points and say, Coach, uh, and say, Coach, I want you to develop me into a pro. Well, why don't you work like a pro? So you're going to knock somebody out of the Pacers rotation? Who? What's their name? They don't get the picture of how good you've got to be and how much work you have to put in. Now, you know, is it is it, it is it always a great look for a coach to be that candid about a guy or about a guy or guys who are leaving. No, it's not. But I, I do think he's picking up on something, Tim, that you're probably especially privy to in, in your role with the NBA with, with guys thinking they're at a certain place with their games and it being far short of where the NBA thinks they are. Yeah. Wow. Uh, really well said by Matt Painter. And thanks for bringing that out. Uh, College players don't have an idea of how hard it is to be a pro and how good those guys are. And, and I, um, I had a real wake-up call. Um, after my junior year, I, I remember thinking, you know, I watched Bill Lambeer really close. And, and I thought, you know what, I, I can do a lot of the same things. I can make a jump shot. I can work the boards pretty hard. You know, he doesn't look like he's in that great a shape. He's not a great leaper. I feel like I jump better than him. I feel like I can run a little bit better than him. And, and so that summer I went to Oakland university and that's where all the Pistons played. And I went there about four or five times and I played against Bill Lambeer and I did really well. I felt like I'm an NBA player. I can do this. 
Well, f- flash forward, you know, a, a year later, and and I'm I'm playing in the NBA against Bill Lambeer, and and he destroyed me <laughs> at the Silver Dome in front of my family and friends, like one of the most embarrassing performances that I've ever been a part of. And I thought, okay, this isn't even the same guy. What what in the world just happened? And I'll tell you what happened in the summer. NBA players. You know, they work on their game, they do their weights, they do their track work, but when they're playing, they're trying not to get hurt. They want to just stay in shape. They want to have some fun. Anytime that a college player plays in the summer against an NBA player, it's a disservice. It's not even the same ball game because the college player is playing as hard as they possibly can. It's like their all-star game. And the NBA guy is just trying to stay out of the way and get, get some run in and have some fun. I think that college players have no idea about how good NBA players are. The diet, the the amount of water they drink, the attention to um, their body fat and and how many shots they get up. And so college players do not have much of a clue on how good NBA players are. Yeah, that's uh, and that's Matt Painter's point. Uh, but here's the thing. If if indeed no Joe Eastern is a sit one to play one guy, uh, this could be this could be the the best thing that could have happened to him as far as his pro prospects are are concerned. Now, you know, does he does he still come uh, if he has to sit one? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. You know, we'll see. But at, at this point. Uh, you know, that was at least in the in the conversation, the possibility of, of sitting one to play one. I don't know what his, the grounds for an appeal would, would be uh, for, for him, but he certainly has to know that the, the likelihood of that waiver rule being passed uh, is is low. So I expect that I know there's been a lot of speculation about it being an absolute no go uh, if he doesn't get a, get a waiver. I think that that's a a conversation that has been had a possibility that has been considered uh, and that is still on the table that he could, he could come even if he, if he sits up when we have to just wait and see how it all plays out. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. But a, a, a guy who, either way, either way, Tim, uh, you know, whether he has to sit one to play one or, or, or not, if he gets an immediate eligibility. Sean D. Brown uh, is a guy that I think offensively now he I think helps Michigan right now he helps mm-hmm. Michigan right now offensively a big bodied wing 6'5 220 pounds uh can can attack the rim with both hands he gets you on this hip I've been saying this for days he gets you on his hip you are not getting in front of him he's gonna take you for a ride he can finish through contact and while not a great three-point shooter Tim uh respectable uh, and an outstanding free throw shooter. A lot to like. I think he's a, a wild card. Uh, while I agree with you that I don't see no gel Eastern being passed and given a waiver by the NCAA, I think that Sean D. Brown will. Um, I say that because of the fact that, you know, he um, 
he's 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 in a position where uh, his coach left, and that that changes everything. COVID nineteen gives guys the, the you know the, the ability to say I, I'm dealing with anxiety, and my coach is gone, and I and I think the NCAA would allow that. So I, I have a lot of thoughts on Shondi Brown. I I actually saw some of when he played against Duke. And yeah. So if you saw that game. <laughs> You're like, wow. And he's he, he's all American. He's all he's, he's, you know, that that's probably the best he's ever played. Um, but there's there's a lot to like. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a pro that that I think would be really good and he's a great fit. And I'm gonna give you a con on what worries me a little bit about him. Okay. Um, the pro is that he's a double figure score versus elite competition in the ACC. That, that's really good. He's a big guard that can play on the wing. Um, maybe the best thing is that that he's an impressive rebounder. Think about the fact that John Teske averaged six and a half rebounds per game as Michigan center and number one rebounder. Well, Brown averaged the same as a wing, so he's a really good rebounder. And 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 I I also think that it's important to look on the con side. Um, a good player on a really bad team, mm-hmm. and and that happens all the time. So so Wake Forest last place um they average 73 points per game and and if if your team averages 73 it's because you score pretty well and there's not much emphasis on defense everybody's got three double figure scores for the most part you know so somebody's going to score points and and he might have been one of their top three players on a team that just doesn't have a lot um so when i think about the 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 number three score you've got brandon childress who's a really good player and sar is either going to Kentucky or the NBA. Um, I, I look at at Shondi Brown and and feel like most times when somebody transfers, their scoring average usually goes down. And and I think Mike Smith's will too. Um, when you look at, let's say in the Big Ten, a, a comparison would be Nebraska. I think Nebraska was in last place, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 so a guy that you you might compare, I like Cam Mack. You know, I, he averaged what 11, 12 points a game, four or five rebounds, good passer. So if Cam Mack was being added to Michigan right now, I don't know if Michigan, you know, really needs him and wants him. Is that a major upgrade? I don't know, but I do know that that Chandri Brown will will add depth. And and he he will win you some games, and so I think I think there's a reason to be excited about him playing. Now, Sam, the question I, I've been thinking about all day is Michigan needs help at the shooting guard spot, yeah. and and so your your best shooting guard right now might be Eli Brooks. Yeah, yeah, and so I don't know if you want to start Mike Smith and Eli Brooks and not have any experience off your bench, so. Do you think Shondre Brown at 6'5", 220, can play shooting guard in the Big Ten for Michigan? Yeah, I, you know, I do. I do, but it's like you said, man. I mean, your you, you, you question, then it becomes a question of who can do a better job at the one spot. I mean, do you, do you believe Eli Brooks playing the one uh, is is better running your team than, than Mike Smith? And they're – there may that may be the case, uh, and mm-hmm. then then at that point, yes, I do think that he can he can uh, really help you there. I, I got a chance to talk to Randolph Childress, 
And you're going to hear that interview here coming up. But one of the things that he pointed out is like, look, we we talk a lot about his offensive game and and we know that he is he is a slasher. He can get to the rim. But let's look at the other things that he can do on the basketball court. So, Tim, you pointed out one. He can really rebound. But he said, listen, the guy is a plus defender. He is a mm. re- he is a really good defender. Uh, and he can he can he's a guy that that can guard in the backcourt and the front court because he's so strong. He said, you know, the guy's like an like an action figure uh, out there. There are a couple of things that that come that rise to the fore that might be limiting factors. How quickly does he pick up what they want to do? Uh, that's one thing that you know. How quick will that learning curve be for him? And then the other piece is, you know, this is another guy. This is another guy, Tim. That better better than no gel eastern uh but you're you're like man if you could have mike smith and eli brooks on the floor do you have a better shooting combination mm-hmm. on the floor and that you know that's a question he's he's a he's an okay three-point shooter now randolph Children says hey no he, he you know his percentages may not reflect how good he is is randolph's point and maybe that's the case maybe being on a better team will open up the floor more for him. Uh, but I would argue, you know, you look at Eli Brooks, and even with a cold spell last year, he was still a, a pretty good shooter and a really good shooter. And then we hear, then we see uh, Mike Smith is is supposed to be coming in uh, with some of those skills as well. So a lot yet to be determined by the competition on the floor in practice, Tim. I am. I'm a big believer that, that the, the best teams in college basketball – are really strong and deep at the one and the two. And Michigan is loaded at the three, four, and the five. And that's why I have concerns. I certainly hope that Shondi Brown can play this year. I think he will. Um, and I and I hope that 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 he's good enough that he can start at the two because then Eli Brooks to me is your perfect six man. He has the ability so, to come off and play either position. So you, what I'd so, like so you would, so you would. I mean, here's the thing, though, Tim. You're you're talking about two transfers in your backcourt, mm-hmm. and that's the that's that's the thing that would concern. You know, if I'm Jawan, you know, no experience in your backcourt in in the system, you know, no experience in your backcourt in the Big Ten. That would be, and and, and granted, look, I I like both of those guys. I think that you know you could argue from a from a talent perspective that that's probably your best comp combination. But, man, <laughs> you know, neither of those guys have – I know he comes from the uh, – Shondi Brown comes from the ACC, but there's, you know, just famili- familiarity with the, with the league and how teams – you know, w- what teams' tendencies are, all of those things that would be uh, lacking for both of those players. It'll be interesting to see if, if, if Jawan would be – you know, if that's something that he would be ready to do. Oh, I love the fact that you brought it up and we can battle this one because I completely disagree. I have no problem with a brand new backcourt with no experience with Juwan's system. Think about Dave DeJulius and Xavier Simpson and Eli Brooks had zero experience in Juwan's offense last year. And just think about what happened at the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. Think about what NBA coaches go through every year. You've got a completely new group of guys in, in a lot of circumstances that have never run the offense. Players can pick up on that stuff so quick. And and I I would have zero concern about Mike Smith and Shondi Brown being your backcourt next year because 
of the fact that, that, that there's plenty of time for them to learn the offense. Well, and here's the thing that, that is to your point, Tim. If there's a guy, if there's a guy on the roster that would be the most comfortable with with stepping from a starting position into a six man role, I, I, I mean, Eli Brooks is that guy. Eli Eli Brooks yeah. is absolutely that guy. Coach's kid, team first guy. He would do it. So mentality wise and how he would process it, that guy was probably the one that would process it the best. So it's an interesting one. And I, you know, I defer to you on 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 things like, you know, on basketball, on all things basketball, Tim. So I think you make a compelling argument looking back at last year. Uh, and maybe it will work out that way. We, we will see. Certainly Randolph Childress believes that Sean D. Brown uh, is a guy that's going to come in and help media, Michigan immediately uh, and, and likely even in a starting position. That's what he would do. So a great conversation with one of the best to do it out of Wake Forest. We'll always remember that 1995 crossover move in the ACC tournament against North Carolina where he dropped Jeff McKinnis off. Uh, definitely had to get into that, but mainly the conversation with Randolph Childress was about Sean D. Brown. Here is Randolph Childress. Tell me about the kid. Tell me about Sean D. Brown, the young man, as opposed to the player. Well, I think the young man is what we'll miss the most. I mean, I know my family will as well. Um, just a, a great kid. I mean, he's a great young man, um, special young man. I mean, he's as good of a young man as there is that you'll have. Uh, great smile. Lights up a room when he's around it. Um, he'll 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 be truly missed. Um, so, like I said, I've I've he's been ex- considered. I consider him as you know like a, another son, another uh, extended family. So he'll be missed, and just a just a great 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 young man. His family's done a great job with. Him. Yeah. So take me into his his development. You know, he he's a guy. We we see the stats, uh, but we don't know the story behind the development. So how how did you see his him grow? How did you see his game grow over the three years? Uh, I, I, unfortunately for, for us and for him, I thought his, his season was cut short. I thought when the season started, he had taken a step and he was, he was becoming a playmaker. Um, he was driving the score and finding people early in the year. I thought he was on pace to have a monster season. Uh, and I do believe had Shondi Brown been healthy, um, you know, you're talking about missed maybe eight or nine games and, and was on a minutes restriction for another three or four games. Uh, through a vital part of the season, literally through conference play when it starts. And you, you know, you add 12 to 13 points a game just on average. And what he brought uh, 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 rebounding to our team, I really believe that the season's different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, things are different for the, for the, for the Deeks. So uh, it's, it's no one's fault. It's just, you know, injuries happen. And, and Andre, you know, Shawnee played so hard. Uh, you know, it was just a muscle, muscle tear in his calf. And it's a freak thing. And, actually toured on the last play of a road win. Hmm. Uh, I think it was at Pittsburgh. So uh, his presence was his presence and his physicality was, was surely missed on the basketball court. So but prior to that injury, I thought he had taken a step and he was, he was growing as a basketball player. So I, I, I expect to see that continue from afar. So you, you're, you're both a coach and a player, man. I'm, uh, you know, break, Break down his game. He's, you know, game recognized game as they say. What does he do well? You know, just watching his his highlights, it seems like he gets you on his he gets you on his hips on his hip and it's over. 
Yeah, he gets you on his side. I mean, he he's uh, you know you're not going to get around him. He's, he's he's built like a tank. He's a, we used to tease him and say he's built like an action figure. But he's uh, <laughs> you know he gets he gets his shoulders faster. You're not going to get in front of him. Um, I actually want him to do that more. I think that was obviously a strength of his, and he needs to 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 he can do that. I think at will if he focuses on doing so and doesn't kind of premeditate you know the situation, but. Um, but that's what he does. Capable of, 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 uh, you know, taking threes driving. And I thought really where he'd taken a step was he was starting to evolve as a, as a passer and a playmaker, uh, in force beginning last year. Um, and that would have been, that was vital for a team and, and it was surely missed when he was out. So, you know, another thing, again, I, it's not like I was able to, to watch a lot of, uh, a lot of Wake Forest games. Saw you guys clip Duke, but I, I'm curious if if what we see in the highlights is is kind of indicative of him all the time, you know, I, I watch him and he seems to be as comfortable going left as he is right. It almost seems like he's more comfortable on the highlights going to his going to his left. Is that an accurate assessment of his game? Kind of break that down for me. Uh, I think he's he's definitely can go with either hand. Uh, I, I think what his his improvement will continue to be is just not predetermining what. Uh, what he's going to do and just let the game play and, and, and relax and just, just attack and simplify the game. Once he slows himself down, uh, he plays extremely hard. So once he slows himself down, he could be a very, very good player. Mm-hmm. What about, what about Shondi as a, as a jump shooter? I think his mechanics are fine. I mean, he, he, he could, you, you know, I mean, he, uh, we would work on certain things like that, I, I, but, but the shot's fine. I think he can, he just needs to get ready, uh, shot ready a lot quicker. Um, and, and he knows that. And, when he does, he's a pretty consistent shooter. So uh, I expect him to again to 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 be solid with that. I don't think that's a you know that's not a, a detriment in his game at all. I mean he's he's uh, you know it's, it's just a good part of his game, I should say. I mean mm-hmm. he, he's uh, he's definitely someone you're not going to leave open from three. You're going to guard him. So that 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 that's one of the most probably more underrated aspects of his game. Now you you just mentioned he is a he is a rebounder and you look at him I can I can imagine and you know obviously that bears out in the stats. What kind of defender is Shondi? He's a really good defender. I think at times he 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 puts himself in a bad position as far as angles, you know, angles defensively. Uh but but again, I think he his motor and his ability to defend uh we will put him on uh, bigger guards and he he can he can do a heck of a job with that. He can be a really good player. I mean, he is a good player. I think he could you know his next. I thought he was trending this year to be a great player. I, I think if you would even ask people that were watching him early in the year, he was he came out the gate really playing well. Um, I expected him to to have like I said his best season here until the injury happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, just a couple more, man. If you can look back over your time with him, what's the best you ever seen him play? Can you take me through the 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 time you watched him on the court? Like, man, I've never seen him play better than this. I honestly thought that was the beginning of the of the season. I mean, and like I told you before, he had always had the size and he had always played hard. He came through the door look like the way he's built now. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, so <clears throat> I think the biggest thing was he was always he improved. You know, with that, but. I think the biggest thing that he that jumps out with me was that he started making plays. He started, you know, hitting gaps and and and, and making skip passes, playing off two, drawing and kicking them for help. Like that that that's when the game starts slowing down for you. Uh, you know, prior to that, he had just been a guy that was a straight line driver and scorer. Uh, I, I thought, regardless of the stats, uh, the way he came out at the beginning of this season, doing things like that 
was something that I had never seen him do in the previous two years. Yeah, and last one for you. So if he's a sit one to play one guy, if it works out that way, he would mm-hmm. be he would be a veteran on a really young team, which begs the question, What is he a natural leader? Does leadership come naturally to him, or is that something that he's he's growing into? I think it's something he needs to grow into more. Um, you know, his leadership, he'll work. I think his leadership needs to come more vocal. I don't think he's as vocal as he needs to be um, for a guy of his experience. And I do think if he were to sit out, um, it, it would allow him time to be a level of familiarity to, to his surroundings to help, you know, kind of accelerate that process and that part of his game. Uh, would be something that I would I would think that you know it would be beneficial for him or, and that's the that's the tough part about all the kids that transfer right now they're not gonna you know right now it doesn't look like they're gonna get summers and everything else so it's almost like returning in the fall and and then uh, kind of you know eventually getting to it at some point so you know he's gonna have to do it, quite a bit of adjusting to things uh, that to get a coat I know the winter's gonna be a little tougher there than, than you two in North Carolina coming from a Florida boy so you guys better get my man a coat. <laughs> Tell him I said that. Tell him don't call me crying when he's up there freezing his tail off. <laughs> but uh, you know, he—I I can just tell you. Listen, he—he, he, I, I told him that it's—it's—he—he's—he's uh, going to be missed. He's—he's—he's uh, uh, he's, he's going to be missed. I've—we've been fortunate enough to to meet some really good kids, and 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 I, I, he, Shondi Brown and his family will be will be missed. Well, let me tell you, uh, as in, in closing, man, 25 years ago, I was a senior in high school, man, the coldest, you talk about cold, the coldest move <laughs> I saw on a basketball floor. Jeff McKinnis is still on the ground. So, man, I got to say, that is one of my favorite moments ever in the history of the I, tur- I know you hear that all the time. I, I hear from the young guys now. <laughs> you know, I hear from the young guys now, but no, I appreciate it. We are back here on the Michigan Basketball Insider. Uh, you know, terrific, terrific conversation with Randolph Childress. And I admit, I admit, Tim, you know, I, I was in awe. I mean, I, I have I have guys that I root for. It's kind of like the first time you, you you talk to a Glenn Rice. I'm a, I'm a fan at, at heart. And I remember Randolph Childress that year at, at Wake Forest. He was a tremendous guy, a tremendous scorer. Who can forget? I remember a game where they were down like 18 to Duke, uh, and he brought them all the way back. They won that game. And then, of course, the the great play, the iconic play that we see uh, every year replayed against North Carolina. Randolph Children's pretty damn good. Uh, I will never forget that NCAA tournament. He averaged like 35 points a game. He was the best player on the court. When you've got Sheed and Stack and and a guy named Tim Duncan was actually on that team too, so I um I I just I I have great memories. I'm smiling right now thinking about Randolph Childress. Yeah, yeah, great dude, and offered some some great insight. And I'm curious what you thought of this, Tim. The the part where Randolph talked about how in looking at Shondi Brown's game, very complimentary as you would expect of you know the kind of young man, his physical characteristics. So, you know, he has a pro body uh, and can attack the room with with both hands. But I found it, uh, it, you know, kind of a profound assessment. He said, you know, his issue, and I've watched him over the years, is he predetermines his move. So, yes, can he – yes, he can go left. Yes, he can He can go right. He can seemingly go both ways with, with equal proficiency, but he predetermines his move 
Tim was one of the things that he pointed out, and he said he feels like it's a limiting factor for Shondi Brown when he gets to the point where he just reacts to the defense as opposed to predetermining what he's going to do. He feels like that's going to maybe take Shondi Brown's game to the next level on the offensive end of the floor. A really strong commentary by Randolph Childress. That that's that's coming. That that's high level deep stuff from somebody that's got a great basketball IQ. Now, one of the problems with with being a Michigan slash Big Ten slash NBA fan is there's only so many hours in a day that you can watch video. And and I have to be honest, I don't watch a lot of Wake Forest basketball. You know, they're the last place in the ACC. Right. There, there's a game on every night that I can find that's more appealing to me than Wake Forest. So I don't know his game as well as Randolph Childress, but but I, I did watch his mixtape. And, and I have to say that when when I coach young kids, when I coached my son, um, I always told them, never let a guy straight line drive you with their strong hand, meaning don't let a guy drive to his right because they're so much better finishing that way. It seems to me that Shondi Brown has has gotten really good at just knowing that the defense is trying to take away his yeah. right hand. And he's going left. He's yeah. going left. And and if you can do that and then have the mindset that you're going to be a little bit more open to use that that left hand drive to set up your right hand, I think that he'll be much more effective. Uh, I'd be interested to see what his coaches say, and I and I bet they've watched so much film on him already that that Saudi Washington and Phil Martelli and crew have picked up on that. Well, see, you you just complimented Randolph Childress on his high level eval, and 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 rightfully so. But I'm gonna put my man Tim McCormick right up there with that <laughs> high level eval right there because it is it's an outstanding point. Uh, you're right. It probably is the case that you know these there is deep high level scouting you know across the country at the college basketball level teams know your tendencies and so you know it he anticipates the way teams are going to guard them and uh, a lot of times it works but maybe sometimes it's a tether maybe sometimes it's a limiting factor that was that was Randolph Childress's opinion great stuff uh Tim also great stuff man I saw a a uh uh, you know, a photo, uh, a screen cap of a Zoom call that you were on recently uh, with with Jawan Howard with the Michigan uh, basketball team. It seemed like it was a a super cool thing. It was like a family reunion on on Zoom. Can you can you kind of tell us about how all that came together and what was the motivation behind it? Exactly. It was a family reunion, and I was proud to be included in a very special group. Um, so about three weeks ago, I got a call from Juwan, and he said, hey, Tim, can you be on a call at three o'clock today? And I said, yes. And I was surprised and confused. He said it's a Zoom call. And that was about it. I didn't know what, you know, what, in the, why was he calling me about this? And so um, there were there were 10 current players. The entire roster was there the entire coaching staff, and 10 former Michigan players. Uh, there was the Fab Five minus Chris Weber. Glenn Rice was on, Duncan Robinson, Mo Wagner. Uh, let's see, Derek Walton was there, and Jordan Poole, uh, Jamal Crawford, Dugan Fife, and me. And, and we, um, we had a, a two-hour tribute to a couple of seniors 
Xavier Simpson and John Teske that did not have a graduation. They did not have a banquet or a proper send off. And so this was touching. It was emotional. It was funny. And, and it really put in perspective the impact that two of the winningest players in Michigan basketball history had. Um, I, I, also, I also found it fascinating that, that Juwan, for people that don't know him, he's a really funny guy. And, and he had such good camaraderie with his players. He, you know, he was throwing little jabs at his teammates. Um, you know, who's really funny too is Jalen Rose. <laughs> Jalen, Jalen was like the, you know, the MC and, and it was just, it was a good day. It was really, really, really memorable for me. Yeah. Super, super nice touch. And it, it just feels like, it feels like Jawan is, is going out of his way to, to really be like the connective tissue. But that's not to say, look, I don't, I don't want people to take that to, to mean that there was no outreach to, to former players before now. That, that's, that's not the case. But it definitely feels like, Tim, you know, he, he wants to invite more of the past here to the present. Is that, do you kind of feel that from him? Well, I, I, I agree with that. And I will say this, there's nobody in Michigan basketball history that could call that list of players. Uh, that's really a who's who over the last 30 years of Michigan's elite. Nobody could get in, in, a, in a two-hour window of time those guys to call in, call in and stay for two hours on a phone call. It just it wouldn't happen. NBA players are consumed with other things. And and Juwan has a lot of cachet and clout in Michigan basketball history. Yeah, absolutely, he does well. Tim, uh, this is this was a, another great session. This is why, again, to announce the schedule to you, uh, you Michigan basketball insider uh, faithful out there, every other Wednesday. So starting with this Wednesday. And every other Wednesday moving forward until the start of the college basketball season, you're going to be hearing the Michigan Basketball Insider. Uh, what you can do for us is is rate us. Give us that five-star rating over on uh, over on iTunes. Uh, certainly do that. Uh, you know, Give us that review. Subscribe to the podcast. Uh, spread the word. Uh, help us grow. Uh, help us continue to. To, to get better and better. That's the that's the thing, Tim. Uh, the more we do it, the better we get, uh, and the more people listen, like, subscribe, and rate and review, uh, the bigger and better we're going to be. It's going to be good, and, and I, I've got some homework for you. You ready? I'm ready. I want you to try to figure out who's in the starting lineup, what's the rotation, how many minutes everybody in Michigan's rotation is going to play, and approximate everyone's scoring average. Okay. That will be a focus on the next Michigan Basketball Insider. Thanks a lot for spending the time with us. Uh, until next time, we'll be back here. Tim McCormick and Sam Webb on the Michigan Basketball Insider. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. 